All right, welcome back, Crossing Broadcast. I am your host today, Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad, joined as always by Russell Joy at Joy on Broad. Russ, hello. Hi, Kyle. Good morning, everybody. We are Sans Adam. We don't know where he is, but um, first late Thursday night football game. I would imagine he's sleeping. <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> he was in front of like eight TVs. I do too. It's a good yeah. time to get sick. It's the uh, transitional season months. No, it's not. We're not in fall yet. I'm very upset about this. I do like the crisp fall air, but not until at least after September 15th. This is too early. Wow. And we're all sick uh, accordingly. (coughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) That is Mother Nature saying, listen, it is fall when I say it is fall. Anyway, Friday morning, first Eagles game of the year coming up on Sunday. Last night, Patriots, Chiefs. I think both of us fell asleep because my kid's new thing is waking up at 3 a.m. And not just temporarily, like for good. Like he starts his day down at 3 a.m. So um, I didn't make it past the second quarter last night. Did that sort of half couch sleep thing where you're like, you don't want to be sleeping. So you wake up when Al Michaels gets a little bit excited. So I was able to keep tabs on the score, which is a very unhealthy way to sleep when, especially when you're up three hours later at 2:45 today. So uh, that's what we're working on. Anyway, I fucking hate the Patriots and could not be more thrilled to see what happened to them last night. To wake up and see that they're getting their ass pounded by Andy Reid when they're unveiling their five rings, their stupid barstool stupid fucking towels, the 28 to three on the scoreboard. Karma is such a bitch. Mark Wahlberg should have left that game early. What do you got? You really uh, you really don't like the Patriots. I actually am a Patriots fan. Oh, I'm just kidding. Geez, I'm no. just kidding. Just kidding. Good God. I mean, like Boston um, has just become can, so insufferable. I hate Boston. Look, here, here's the thing. Um, I've said this for a while. I hate Boston. I hate their teams. I hate their fans. Um, Spike Eskin on the Ricky this past weekend went off on, uh, on Bill Simmons and Celtics fans and revisionist history. And that was like... That was the inner me just flourishing. It was it was this. Uh, it was pretty much everything I feel about Boston sports and their fans. I love watching Boston teams lose, and then I think even more than that, I love listening to Boston fans complain about why things happen. And then I started seeing on Twitter this morning while I was tra- when I went to bed last night. It was the end of the first half. I had my tablet right with me in bed. I was getting ready to, to gear up for the second half. Passed out. When I went to bed, the Patriots were dominating that game. I woke up this morning, saw the score, went, holy crap, like, what in the hell happened? And it was just, like, it's it's wild, but then I started looking at Twitter, and all the Boston fans, the New England fans, you know, were, were really upset that people were so excited that their team lost. And it's like, deal with it, New England fans. Like, I, I get it. Your team's probably going to go, like, 13-3. and three. You have the best quarterback of all time. You've won Super Bowls. Let everybody have some schadenfreude for a little bit, Okay. You know, it's not that hard. Um, Kareem Hunt, though, can we talk about uh, the narrative that has come out now? If we want to predict media, um, the fact that Kareem Hunt was taken, what was it, 86 in the draft, uh, that Kansas City jumped over Philly by, I think it was like 10 or 15 picks. They took Kareem Hunt, but the Eagles traded multiple picks to get Donald Pumphrey, who is uh, likely going to be the fifth string running back on this team and inactive practically every week. Uh, That article has written itself, and I'm pretty sure that by uh, midweek or by the day after the Eagles game at the latest, at least two Inquirer or Daily News guys or NJ.com guys are going to have written the, uh, why didn't the Eagles trade up to draft Kareem Hunt over Donnell Pumphrey article? Your thoughts? Yeah. 610. It's funny you say that. I've already seen tweets, not from the radio stations today. By the way, your fan on your laptop is like, it sounds, it sounds like it's a Cat 4 over there, um, which is what Irma is as of this morning. Anyway, mute it if you're not talking, because I, I think okay. it's just a fan. Um, anyway, so um, I've seen tweets about that so far, uh, not from the radio stations, just from people speculating what will be the topic. I predict it will not be the topic today. It will be the topic on Monday and uh, Tuesday. We'll talk about the game on Monday. And then regardless of whether the Eagles win or lose, most likely the running backs are not going to turn in uh, 
an excellent performance because I don't think any of them are, are that good, and it's kind of a hodgepodge unit. And I think by Tuesday we have the Don, is Donnell Pumphrey, can he be Kareem Hunt argument. Uh, the, the Hunt thing is pretty fascinating. The guy comes out, gets the start uh, after West goes down for the year, um, fumbles on his first play, is distraught on the sideline. I don't know how much of it you saw, Russ, but he was distraught. Coaches and teammates trying to pick him up, and he comes out and puts up, what, 150 rushing yards and 98 receiving, or, or vice versa. I forget which it was. Um, that offense looked dynamic. Tyreek Hill is just a monster. Um, so fast. Uh, Alex Smith throwing the ball vertically. Fun game. The little bit that I saw, the highlights that I saw, uh, waking up intermittently to see Al Michaels talk about it. So anyway, um, I can't be – the thing with Boston, like, you got – El Prez from Barstool posting videos on Twitter last night crying over the loss like like fake crying but real tears which is which is actually pretty impressive acting like th- this is where we've we've reached with Boston fans like they're upset that they've lost their Super Bowl ceremony game for the fifth time their fifth Super Bowl ceremony game uh the whole thing is just so pompous like the, the knee like have a modicum of professionalism do you really need to put 28-3 on the scoreboard both during the day and then during the ceremony do we really need Mark Wahlberg like does Boston I know we have no one better than Rocky but does Boston have no one better than Mark Wahlberg I tweeted that Mark Wahlberg was their Rocky and someone responded and he's our Vince Papali which was uh admittedly a pretty good comeback anyway I hate Boston I'm glad they lost um would LeGarrette Blunt have helped? Maybe. They didn't get it on two, fourth, and one, so that's interesting. Um, and that's another article that will now write itself. That is, a, Yeah, that, that will write but itself. But it'll be written Boston. by, like, what is it, NESN? Is their, uh, their CSN affiliate up in New England? What I found interesting was that in the pregame, you know, there was a, a lot of talk about Edelman, obviously, um, but no one, you know, and no one talked about, hey, the Patriots lost their leading touchdown scorer from last year, so it's going to be a problem. Like, it wasn't even a topic. You show me another team coming off a Super Bowl victory who loses a running back who scores 18 touchdowns for them, and that it's, it's like, barely warrants a mention. By the way, it looked like Blunt was up there last night getting his ring, unless the ring ceremony for those guys was at a different time and place. But he tweeted pictures last night with some of the other former Patriots, and it looked like they were in a, um, like a banquet tent. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't assume it took. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him if he went. No, I mean Doug was probably excited. Doug probably asked to go as his plus one. So, uh, yeah, I mean you could you can go to you could literally fly to Boston at four p.m. and and fly back this morning and be at practice. That's fine. Um, Anyway, so we we got a lot of Eagle stuff to tackle here. Um, Let's start. Jeffrey Lurie held an impromptu press conference yesterday. Conveniently at like 4.45, like just when everyone kind of wants a, you know, I had been blogging and editing since 8 a.m. So just when everyone wants to stop working, Lori holds a press conference. Uh, I don't know how long that was planned for, but everyone's calling it impromptu. It certainly wasn't known about before yesterday. Um, Talked, I'm not sure what the point of it was. He was immediately asked about Howie and doubled down on Howie and not just like a vote of confidence, but like a over-the-top um, approval of the job he's done, like in putting his stamp of endorsement, stamp of approval on the moves he've, he's made and preemptively calling him a outstanding GM, a, a brilliant mind. Uh, these aren't quotes, but this is the vibe you were getting from him. Uh, he did say he's uh, like reconstructed the team in a remarkable way. He used the phrase remarkable. Um, I... I get standing by your guy, but like maybe, maybe pump the brakes when you're seven, seven and nine last year and haven't played a game this year and how he doesn't have much of a track record of which to speak. I feel like this was a little over the top and some of these sorts of comments that will come back and haunt Lori if, if the Howie experiment part two goes south. Um, did, yeah. Have the Eagles won a uh, playoff game since Howie Roseman has, has been a GM? No, the last time the Eagles won a playoff game was in 2008. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do what is now becoming a, a commonplace in uh, Philadelphia sports. Let's cheer mediocrity. That seems like a good plan, Jeffrey. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't totally get his infatuation with with Roseman. We're always told that Roseman is this 
incredible cap guru. He was he uh, was the uh, apprentice of Joe Banner. And the guy, like we've talked about this before, he's made some just purely, truly head-scratching signings for copious amounts of cash that nobody else in the entire league had ever considered giving. Uh, the Chase Daniel contract, you know, obviously comes to mind. And he, if nothing else, like, I think Howie Roseman is a guy who really, really liked... Remember back, uh, there was like a year that they had the Madden game, but EA released a game that was just called, like, NFL GM, where you didn't actually get to play the game. Like, now it's a mobile game. But you didn't actually get to play the games. You were just the guy who, like, controlled the price of popcorn and who made all the trades and then told the coach what to do. I feel like Howie is doing the real-life version of that, like, hence why he makes so many obscure trades when nobody else is trading. And, you know, in, in fairness, a good number of his trades that he's made just have not worked out. Again, we'll come back to Pumphrey. Now, if Pumphrey ends up being a good player, then, you know, I'll eat crow. But until that point, like, there there were plenty of guys, it looks like, were drafted, a, you know, ahead of him and after him that uh, the Eagles could have easily drafted and probably made a more immediate impact. Whatever. Um, Lurie's infa- infatuation with, with Roseman is just something I, I've never been able to truly understand. Uh, the, the only other anyway, thing I'll, I think I'll, is... I'll, I'll interrupt you there, because as, as we're talking about it, we get a, we get a question from at Todd Cap and says, uh, specifically, does Jeffrey Lurie's blind loyalty, Jeffrey Lurie's blind loyalty to Howie Roseman bug everyone? So, uh, right in real yeah, time, as we're discussing So, it, here's, here's the thing, like, and, so I, I think I've said this before, I, I know some people who work... Uh, at the link, there were people who said that you know in the in the Chip Kelly days, like we, I think we've probably talked about this at some point. When Chip came in, and eventually got full full power, full reign, he had relegated Roseman to this like back corner office. He had actually taken away, uh, at least initially, Roseman's privilege to ride on this separate elevator that you don't have to walk past the common folk on the way to their seats, and Chip had revoked that. So I think Howie had felt emasculated for a for a decent stretch. And once he got power back, he felt like he needed... I, like, I, I can imagine that while Chip was finding some success, Howie was in Lurie's ear saying, yeah, it'll work for a year, and then it's going to crumble. And, and like, if you continue to hedge like that, and it ends up coming to fruition, then your boss is going to think that you're even more brilliant than before, and now he's going to have this blind loyalism... Um, to Roseman, and it just sucks. Like it, he like from the perspective of having a pretty young guy as as your GM. Like I'm always a fan of that. If you have a young head coach, like uh, what is it, the Rams do? Like that's fine. Like I think there's something to be said for that. Like as much as I hate Boston teams, like Brad Stevens in the NBA, like having a young coach is something that you can usually get behind. But at some point, when that guy hasn't brought you playoff success, hasn't built a winning roster or even a contending roster. I think plenty of pundits would put the Eagles in third place in the NFC East going into this season. I don't know why you would go and have an impromptu press conference where you're giving votes of confidence. That's my uh, issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I wasn't sure I was bringing up this conversation so we could... Um, there was a sit here and bash Lurie or, or bash Roseman fest. Um because I don't know if either I don't think either deserve bashing. Quite honestly, I don't have. He had a press conference, so what? It was just it was the timing was a little bit weird and surprising more than anything. And we've talked about the the pluses and minuses of Roseman. I just thought, just from a like strategic perspective, coming out and really like just going all in on what Roseman is doing, rather than taking a step back and saying, okay, like yeah, by by most accounts, he did have a pretty good off season. I'll, I'll agree with that. I don't agree with everything he did. I think it could go woefully wrong. There's a downside. You know, Garrett Blunt wasn't expensive, but he he could turn out to be a non-factor. Alshon Jeffrey could wind up being an expensive one-year trial. Um, you know, there's a lot of things he could have. He sacrificed offensive line depth. He didn't draft a, a cornerback that can contribute right away. He traded Jordan Matthews. Like, there's a lot of things that could definitely go wrong here. That said, I would give him a, a B, B-plus for the offseason and think a lot could go right. just thought it was interesting that Laurie felt was compelled to really just, like, you know, double down on that. Um, he so, also called— Go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, because I, I have a point, but it's okay. going to take us off track, so go ahead. All right, so he also called uh, Mike Lombardi's comments uh, clickbait and hot takes, which is great, because uh did not think Laurie knew what either of those phrases meant. 
Uh, I suppose memes will be mentioned at his next press p- conference, or if you prefer, he memes. got divorced, right? So maybe he's like dating somebody who's like a third of his age, and she he's, told him what clickbait means. He did get divorced, and he got remarried to a uh, younger Asian woman uh, whose family owns the Vietnam restaurant in Philly, or owned the Vietnam restaurant in Philly. Vietnamese. Uh, so okay, maybe but she, the name maybe of it's she... called Vietnam. That's oh, okay. So maybe she told him what a uh, what clickbait she, was. Perhaps she you did. Know? Um, other items to note, he was, he was asked about Kaepernick. I don't think we have to go through all this, but, uh, he, he had a weird quote. He said, I don't think he didn't really give a, keep in mind, Jeffrey Lurie is maybe the most liberal owner in, maybe in sports, certainly in the NFL, I think, um, at least that we know of. And he gives, he didn't really give much of an endorsement of, of Kaepernick. He said, you know, GMs aren't conspiring against him. We don't get together and talk about players. And I believe that. I don't think he was being honest there. But he gave this quote. He said, quote, I don't think anyone protesting the national anthem in and of itself is very respectful. Then he kind of paused and he said, but I think we can sometimes misinterpret what those are. And it was kind of an interesting quote because it took a lot of people back. Like he was he was calling the protest disrespectful in one regard. And then in the other regard was saying, hey, like, I, I think we we misinterpret the fact that they're not protesting the anthem itself. They're just using it because that happens to be the one stage they have. I know Adams talked about this a lot before where their helmets are off. You could see their faces, their people. And they use that time to protest, you know, wh- whatever it is, you know, the, the, the Black Lives Matter, for lack of a better term. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But he, cause he, but he didn't really, like, he didn't really defend Kaepernick as much as he thought maybe he would have. Um, he seemed like to take somewhat of a hard line there, compared signing a player like him to signing Michael Vick. Vick was an ex-con. Uh, Kaepernick is not. And, and this is the most liberal owner in the league. So that was pointed out by this guy, A.C. Phila, on Twitter, who um, I think he would probably admit to being a liberal troll, certainly towards me. Um, however, I, I kind of agreed with him in this in this one because Laurie is the most liberal guy, and even he was, like, keeping Kaepernick at an arm's length. So you imagine, you can imagine what most, the reaction of most other owners towards Kaepernick. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I think Laurie uh, goes out of his way to praise Howie Roseman. Jeffrey Lurie doesn't understand football. He doesn't understand football, not quite to the same degree, but in a similar way as how Ed Snyder did not understand basketball. He just owned the team. You know, if you remember Ed Snyder, when when they had hired Ed Stefanski, I think in 2007, uh, he spoke in the highest, it gave the highest accolades to, uh, to Ed. And even until he was fired, I think it was around 2011, which was I think coincided with the um, the selling of the team to Josh Harris and his group, uh, Snyder would always go out of his way to make it, you know, he would always say that he wasn't totally sure of the sport, but he trusted the guys that he hired. And I think that's kind of where Lurie's at. I don't think Lurie could actually tell you what a better move would have been, say in the draft or in a trade. I don't, think he, I don't think he has that, that ability. But here's the thing. He talks about he, he doesn't keep that arm's length distance that Ed Snyder kept from the basketball team. Like, I, I don't know if Ed Snyder knew what the shot clock was in basketball. Laurie, however, is, as we've seen, has been at the senior bowls the last couple of years. Um, he talked yesterday about coaches briefing him on this was this was an odd exchange briefing him on the game plan. And then they said, well, you know, do they let you in on the game plan? And he laughs. He's like, no, no, no. You know, that's I, you don't want me involved in the game plan. And then he went on to describe what sounded exactly like coaches briefing him on the game plan. In fact, he specifically said about this upcoming week where you have a new defensive coordinator like the Redskins have being able to attack some of those things. And he didn't go into specifics as to what they were going to do. But like he described exactly what would be the coach is coming to him and telling him, sitting down with him and giving him the game plan before the game. I don't know, like Jerry Jones, perhaps this happens with. I don't know how many other teams in sports where you have an owner who gets the game, this briefing, whatever you want to call it, before a, before a game. Like that is a weird level of involvement that he doesn't seem to think is weird, while at the same time acknowledging that it would be weird if he got the game plan, which is what he gets. Like... I don't I think he's Arthur, giving input Arthur here, Blank but the fact that Doug that. Peterson is sitting next, sitting with Jeffrey Lurie, talking to him every day and sitting with him and saying, hey, this is where we're going to attack on Sunday like that. 
I don't know. I don't know how many situations that are like that. And that's that's concerning to me, like, I, I th- especially with someone like Laurie, because like you said, he's not some football. N- none of these guys are like football gurus or football geniuses, but I don't even think he's shown that he's a he's a man- managerial genius by any stretch. He's always got some sort of palace intrigue and guys backstabbing each other. Um, so I don't know if other than just being the, the purse strings and, um, you know, advancing his, the causes he cares about, which are good ones, the environment and stuff like using his platform to do that, do stuff in the community, which is great. Like, that's it. Let the football guys run the team. I don't, I don't need him knowing what the Eagles are doing on Sunday. I think it's just the, the idea of him wanting to seem like he knows what's going on. Because you don't want to be labeled like Ed Snyder was as the the Sixers owner. Like I, all right. So but you do. But but you but you do. Is is Robert Kraft? Is Bill Belichick briefing Robert Kraft on the game plan? I highly I don't know doubt if he's it. briefing him. But I I would guess that Kraft goes to practices from time to time. I would guess that Kraft has a better idea of what's going on. I would I I would probably put money on the fact that Arthur Blank probably is either in on some meetings or is on the practice field a bunch. I mean, Arthur Blank, I think, is the only owner I've seen outside of Jerry Jones ever walk down onto the sideline in a regular season game. He obviously did that during the Super Bowl. It did not work out. Um, but, like, even... All right, so I'll... For comparison's sake. So Robert Kraft and Arthur Blank both own two teams that play in the same place. They both own an NFL team and an MLS team. Kraft has taken the Ed Snyder Sixers approach, where he just started a team in MLS, New England Revolution, and they just, that's it. Like, they they operate on their own. He has nothing to do with them. They just get to play at the stadium. Arthur Blank, on the other hand, when they were designing, what is it, the Mercedes, uh, the Mercedes Dome? Yeah, right? place the, is awesome. The lighting in that they, place. I don't know if, if you saw the Alabama game. The yeah, lighting, it looks it's outside. Awesome. It's awesome. Yep, it's it's fantastic. When Blank was working on that stadium, they were in the process of doing the um, the MLS expansion. And he has had a real impact in, in in like what Atlanta United has done because they've they've spent a lot of money. They've used avenues that like the Union don't. Blank is a very involved owner. I would not be surprised to see a guy like him want either to be briefed or to be on the sideline himself throughout the week watching what's happening. Jeffrey Lurie, I think, needs a briefing because I think if he stands on the sideline, he wouldn't understand what's happening. And again, he's not he's not a football guy. Uh, I, 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 I I disagree with you. I, I think that's I think that's unfair. The guy's owned the team for twenty some years. He knows he understands the game of football. Like he, we, I, I think. You're but I'm being saying like if he dismissive of him there. Does he but really I don't understand think he, packages? Does he understand? Oh, okay, fair. Like yeah. defensive line movement. Does he understand blocking schemes? Like I think maybe more than anything, like it, it could just be as much of uh, of being an inquisitive guy, which is maybe slightly encouraging, but like. He sees a play, he sees, I don't know, the line pull, and somebody rotates around Jason Peters to set a, a farther block on the outside, and then later he like he like writes that down for himself, and then he talks to Doug later and says, what was that play? Because I didn't see anybody else blocking outside of Jason Peters on a run to the left. Can you explain what happened? Like, I can see that, and that's fine. Like, whatever. All right. Adam, um... it, when he listens to this, is going to cringe at my terminology, I'm sure, as are many other people. I apologize. Um... The other thing he said, and this was sort of in this vein, and this is the last thing on the press conference. I didn't want to even spend this long in the press conference. Um, someone asked him. I didn't actually hear this, but I saw Jeff McLean and Tim McManus tweeting about it. I somehow missed it. It's somewhere in the 25-minute, 30-minute long press conference. Uh, Jeff McLean tweet, Jeffrey Lurie said the Eagles' fourth-down aggressiveness and other NFL teams is based mostly upon math, hardly instinct. Um, agreed. It should be. I know most teams do that, and they all they have cards with time and situation. And yet, maddeningly, on multiple occasions last year, and this is in the post, so we don't have to go through it, but like, you mean to tell me that Doug Peterson was using math when he decided to punt the ball to the Cowboys up seven when he could have kicked a 53-yard field goal when Sturgis had already made a 55-yarder early in the game that would have won the game? You mean to tell me he had an abacus somewhere that told him that punting and playing a field position game and trading 40 yards as opposed to going for what was about a 55% chance of making the kick, which would have in fact won the game, barring like a a true miracle comeback was a better, it was math. You mean to tell me that um, going for it twice on fourth and one on the road against the giants last year and not 
taking the points in the first half on the road was math. Like, I, I, I fail to believe that Peterson is always using math. And if he is, I don't think he's smart enough to know what to do with it or what to look at. These are decisions you have to make in about 18 seconds. So um, color me is, is believing that Laurie thinks they're using math, but also uh, not having any confidence in Doug Peterson to actually interpret the data and make the right decision. I don't know. I don't have their data in front of me. I, I have heard before the, the idea of instead of taking a risky long kick and then having you know the other team start with great field position if you miss versus punting it, trying to pin them back, trust your defense, have them have to punt it out of their own end zone, you probably end up with just as good field position, the, if not better. Like The game was inside. I, I believe the roof was closed. I believe. Do you could, trust Caleb Sergis on a 55-yard field goal? Yes, he made a 55-yarder that game, and it was a 53-yarder. So yes, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Actually, I I think Sergis is, is fair, perfectly I think adequate. I he's a, NFL he's a kicker. good kicker. He's a so good kicker. It's just kicker. fine. If it were David Akers, absolutely go for it every time. Yeah, but Sturgis, when, when it wins the game, well, we don't have to go back to the Cowboys game. It, when it wins the game, worse is when he explained like that giant situation. He talked about feel. I feel strongly about this. I feel strongly about this. Peterson said on during that game, I kicked based on feel. I felt our defense was playing well. Like at no point did he mention no. I had I had very specific odds in front of me that said we should punt the ball. So. I just, I just don't buy it. Like Peterson himself has said, he's done things based on like feel and gut. So, whatever. Um, for the uh, record, Sturgis on field goals of fifty yards or more last year was four for six. He's twelve of twenty three for his career from that distance. Last year was his best percentage of both, his career, which is which is good. You know, both are over fifty percent. Yeah. Um, real quick, I got into a, a Twitter conversation slash argument with Brett Myers yesterday. You missed oh, I thought one. you were going to talk about the Jamie Lynch and the uh, 97.5 Middays thing. No, moving on up in the world. Getting it, wow. get, get into it with world fucking champs. Uh, Brett Myers has a new music video. Uh, his song's actually really good. Um, but Are I you took serious? The, yeah, the song's actually pretty good. It's called Good Time. Um, Is T-Swift on it? or No, but he's oh. wearing a Confederate flag shirt, and it's like the most redneck video of all time. So I just went through and took screenshots of all the redneck things in the video, and Someone sent it to Myers, and then he said, yeah, that guy hates me because I guess I've made fun of him before. And then we went back and forth, and I was like, yeah, you know, didn't mean any harm. And uh, and somehow we got into this weird conversation where he was taking pictures of his dogs and sending them to me and thanking me for the fact that his video now has over 8,000 views. So somehow in making fun of Brett Myers— um, you helped Brett Myers. I helped him, and I think we formed and a friendship. And you helped spread his Confederate propaganda, Kyle— and people have been subscribing to your site. They are not subscribing to revisionist history. What is wrong with you? And he somewhat, um, he somewhat uh, invited me down there to hang out and see what they do. And then I thought he was kidding. And then he sent me a picture of his dog and said he wants to meet you. So, um, I, realistic chance that I could go hang out with Brett Myers and his dog in a field <laughs> in wherever the hell Brett Myers lives. Um, so when you end up getting punched in the face, yeah, that's are we what supposed I was like, to? Just... Are we supposed to then just say that you fell out of your pickup truck? I just Star Wars. It's a trap. It's just playing in my head over and over again when he's Admiral that. Akbar. Look at you. What a good yeah, reference this morning. That's right. I forget his name escaped me, so thank you. Um, You're welcome. It's one of the only characters I actually know from Star Wars. What else did Brett? Uh, there's something. To, oh, I'm I'm kind of glad I had a I had a more aggressive lead in there. Just put it that way. I'm kind of glad I took it out now that I knew he he saw it because the, the lead probably would have made him want to punch me. Um, uh, say, did you see the post about the Sixers jersey, potential new red yeah, Sixers jersey? Yeah, I don't like it at all. I the don't 70s either. Doug Collins jersey, I hate it. Uh, I I don't I don't get why they would want. I, I I hate the block letters. I I saw that you um you said that it looks like it's probably our first look at it. Um, if you haven't seen it, there is no way to describe this. You need to go on to Crossing Broad's website and uh, and and look at this post. It's supposed to look like I guess the based on the 70s Doug Collins era Sixers jersey. It looks like they're still doing the stars up the side. It's supposed to, I guess, be what the red alternate is going to be. Maybe that falls under the uh, the icon edition or or what was the other one? It was like yeah, the, whatever, whatever. The cl- not the they classic. They, they have like the six different. Maybe it becomes the Christmas Day game uh, jersey, but I don't like it at all. I don't like the, the lettering. I think that the, the jerseys that they've had and the, the variation that, that Nike put on them this year, I think it's a great-looking jersey. It's one of the best-looking jerseys 
in the league. And the block lettering, the way that they have it set up as is, I think looks great. I was hoping that if they were going to go off on like some kind of a crazy tangent, that they were going to either make a play on the uh, basketball Ben Franklin, which I knew they wouldn't, or taking the Iverson era jersey and that logo, kind of updating it, making that go red, white, and blue, but the old, but like the Iverson uh, 76ers have that go across the front. I thought that would look kind of cool. So I'm, I'm disappointed if that's what the uh, design ends up being. I feel like if you're going to do that design, you, you need to embrace the gold. I like that design. I, I know it's like peak 90s, and it's definitely it definitely wore out its welcome, and it's not it, it's not a design that works now. But I, I like that. I actually like that design. I thought that was good, and it was different from what most teams were doing with teal and purple and black in the 90s. I you thought it was the the black and the black and red and gold, or the black and gold uh, Iverson era. Yeah, right? but yeah, like okay. so much of the 90s was just teams doing just boring black jerseys. The Sixers obviously did have a black jersey here, but like just boring, like turning whatever they had and making it black, or using teal and purple and like bright Saved by the Bell, the Max style fonts. Um, I, I I don't know. I thought that was different enough, and uh, Pat Croce was inventive enough to. I thought that was good for its time, so I wouldn't have a problem bringing that back. The jerseys Russ is speaking about here, Conrad Burry found this. He actually does our t-shirts. He's a designer. He he does a lot of stuff. He's a big NBA guy, um, does some stuff, I think, for Adidas or whatever. I don't know exactly what he does in his free time, but he, he tweets a lot about basketball jerseys. Um, he mocked up a couple of versions, one with this goofy Collins-era font, which I just think is atrocious. Uh, and then another with a more modern font. I think both of his mock-ups, his mock-ups are well done, but I think both of the looks would be terrible, and I hope they don't actually wear those, and I suspect they will. Um, one other how thing, awful, Russ, How awful would that be if they end up wearing those and then Doug Collins comes out to, like, do the ceremonial toss of the ball, of the tip-off? Uh, I hate the tip Doug off. Collins. He's so good. No, I know. I'm just saying, himself. like, he, show, he shows up, and he's like, he he, <laughs> he pulls up. Wearing that jersey, he probably has his short shorts on underneath. He's got the headband in his back pocket. He's going to do the the hand to the ear like Iverson. Uh, side note: If they ever do the Iverson uh, era Sixers jersey as a throwback, does that mean that we can pull hip hop out of his retirement in the fields? Remember hip hop? Uh, they they wrote the backstory that he uh, he met another he met a lady bunny and they went to go live in a field. Can they we really, get hip hop back? Did they really write a backstory? You don't remember this? I probably do. That uh, oh my the Adam god! Aaron, the Adam Aaron two years were such like were so ridiculous that like it just sort of blurs in with him personally driving to pick up Will Chamberlain's court and tweeting about it. Like he was such an odd duck. Uh, hold on. I, I fully, I fully, I kind of do recall it now. Um, yeah, that he was a weird dude. Here's the, the thing with Adam Aaron was that he was he's a sh- he's run resort properties and vacation properties and now he's running AMC's the CEO of AMC Movies but he's such a nerd but like the things that work at a on a Disney cruise are not what work for a Philadelphia sports team and so he went around trumpeting the fact that he's a local guy from Montgomery County and on this and that but everything he tried to do was the sort of thing you do like for kids themed resorts um and it just didn't work and everyone saw through his shit right away and the mask when they released those three mascots the immediate i've never seen anything like i make fun of everything i've never seen a reaction so immediate and swift with people just bashing what was such like these such comical like comical farcical notions that they were gonna put even just for a mascot it was so offensive and mis- misunderstanding of the fan base. It was he wasn't long for this place. But I, I fully believe that he wrote a backstory for hip hop. Who, by the way, when uh, when Adam Aaron was running the team and they had the different uh, the different potential ones, they had like Phil E. Moose. They had Ben Ben Franklin Dog. B. Franklin Dog. Yeah. And, what was uh, the other one? Uh, uh, it was Ben Frank. Wasn't? Yeah. Where, there wasn't was also one of them a Ben Franklin. Like, yeah. Ben Franklin. Which one were you a fan of? If you had to pick one. Oh, the moose. You gotta go with the moose. I, I liked Philly moose, too. You gotta go with the moose, yeah. I still think they should. Like, I don't I don't get Franklin. I guess Franklin's good for the kids. But you know what's better for kids? You can't do a moose. It's, a it's, moose. It's, it's, re- it's ridiculous. A moose. No, it's ridiculous. A moose would be incredible. Can you imagine Joel Embiid? Embiid would go dressed as the moose. Like, inevitably, when he doesn't play in a back-to-back, you would, like, you would say, wow, Philly moose really has some interesting dance moves today. Wow. All the women in the arena are attracted to Philly Moose. 
I wonder why. And then he takes the head off, and it's Joel Embiid, and you go, oh, that's why. I'm pretty the, sure the moose that... is so infamous at this point that I feel like I feel like they could bring it back and it would be embraced just because it, it's so infamous. By the way, Doug Collins, I, I this is like totally out of left field. I could have done with th- those years of him sitting waxing poetic about what a great teacher he was at press conferences, which is nauseating to me. Like I've never seen someone flog their own hog as much as, as Collins did without having like any on court su- immediate on court success behind him to back it up. Guys, um, I'm telling you, I was never booed as a player. I was oh never God, booed he's... once as a player. But I'm not here to point blame and then goes on to blame his team. Goes on to blame literally everybody else but himself and talk about how yep. great he is. Yep. Um, do you have time to talk about Zach Ertz? I have like, let's say 30 seconds. I I didn't get to read the article on the site, so you're going to, I think you should go solo for a bit and talk about it. Um, I want to point out really quickly that I won our game on uh, predicting the media. There was an article written on Philly Views about uh, Donnell Pumphrey's redemption tour. They didn't use that exact uh, verbiage, but but they did say that he's out to prove his critics wrong. So I'm pretty sure that I won our first, uh, our first round. I'm very excited about that. Um, side note, so McCormick wrote this, uh, this Ertz redemption, or this uh, Ertz breakout season article on your site that I started to read. Um, yesterday was a crazy busy day. But uh, Jeff McLean, oddly enough, had written one like two days ago, and I was going to trash it on today's podcast, just the narrative. But since somebody on your website wrote it, I think it's a great topic. It's one of the best topics I've ever heard, and I'm looking forward to reading it and listening to you uh, give, a, give the folks at home a breakdown. All right, so, I'll, ex- uh, I'll explain to you and them and see how long I can go solo post-haste here. By the way, I am an idiot. I'm not, I, you were right. I'm not speaking into the right microphone. I didn't have it plugged in. Yep, so I, I'm kind of like the 90-year-old guy who calls, like, Dell customer care. I could and tell. And the first thing they ask is, is it plugged in? Yep, it wasn't. I could tell. So, All, all right. right. It was good, uh, good talking to you. Oh, by the way, prediction for this weekend? Score? Oh, yeah, right. Um, hmm. I'm going to go Eagles 30, Redskins 24. Wow. I'm yeah, looking for what the line is. Isn't it like a... Six point spread or something like that, or no, it was a one point. Yesterday, the Redskins I think were a one point favorite, so you're going to go with a six point Eagles win. Oh, I, th- I felt that shifted. The Redskins started out as a favorite, but it shifted to uh, at some point it shifted to the Eagles. I could get. I'll give you the exact. I'll give you the updated line right now as of Friday morning. Uh, line started. It opened as minus two and a half for the Redskins, and it's now. Uh, minus one for the Eagles. That is a huge. That is a huge shift in the Eagles' direction. With fifty six percent of the money coming in on the Eagles, uh, uh, birds all day with that with that line movement. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you Reds, go from being I, a dog to a favorite on the road with most of the money on your side. Uh, someone knows something that that uh, you don't. I think it's gonna be thirteen ten Redskins. God. Yeah. 13-10 Redskins, which, which, well, no, it's going to be offensive incompetence because I don't think the Eagles are going to be able, or incontinence, I guess. Uh, I, I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to get much of a running game going. Um, I think Peters or Johnson, somebody is going to have to come out for a bunch of plays. For Peters always gets hurt. I like Jason Peters. He's been a great player, but I, I get really tired of like the, he's got his, both of his ankles are wrapped up and now all of a sudden he's got to go off for like a series or two. I don't know if they're going to get the run game going. I think Alshon Jeffrey is going to be double teamed. I think he'll be okay. Torrey Smith is probably going to drop a long pass. We will see Nelson Aguilar at some point. He'll drop the ball. Um, I I just don't think that they're going to be able to finish. I hope I'm wrong. Um, and I and again, I have it as a low scoring because I think the Eagles defense is going to be really good. I think they're going to be crashing in on Cousins at with with just ferocity. I expect Fletcher Cox to have a big game. Um, I expect defensive line disruption. I think a linebacker might have an interception. Somebody's going to get beat deep. I think Terrell Pryor will go for the only uh, touchdown for the Redskins. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Eagles win like 30 to, to 24 like you want. But I don't see this being what good old JR would call a slobber knocker. Fair enough. So anyway, uh, I hope I'm wrong. And if I am, please take me to task on Twitter. At Joy on Broad. Much love. Talk to you Monday.
All right, Russ is out. I will go, I will uh, fly solo for a few minutes here for as long as I possibly can. Uh, a couple of things we talked about the Ertz thing. The gist of Jim McCormick wrote a piece for the site. Uh, hopefully you read it. I think it's one of the best, if not the best piece we've had since the relaunch. Jim's covered fantasy for ESPN.com for over 10 years, both football and basketball, uh, mostly football. He wrote 12,000 words this week. He writes the player blurbs for ESPN Fantasy. So guy knows his stuff. Uh, this week he focused for us specifically on Ertz and talked about why this will actually be his breakout year. Rather than, as Russ said, it just being narrative street, he actually pulled some numbers to back up the claim. He is not the only one on this bus. It's not just the Eagles fans on this bus. The fan, fantasy and data community at large is on the Ertz bus. And the reason is um, there's some there's some numbers working in his favor without going too detailed here. Uh, basically, he's, he's caught only... He catches like 25% of his end zone targets over the last few years, which is well below the league average. Uh, Carson Wentz converts, converted last year below the league average at his end zone throws. He threw a lot to his tight ends, but only half of those, a little more than half of those throws went to Ertz uh, last year. So all statistical regression points in Ertz's favor. He should be getting a larger share of those tight end targets like he did at the end of last year. He developed a rapport with Wentz. Wentz should convert a higher number of his touchdown end zone targets. And as should Ertz, therefore, uh, if anything, he should score more touchdowns just by regressing to the statistical mean. Uh, The other thing Jim did was he pulled a list of comparable seasons for guys um, with Ertz's measurables at at similar points in their careers uh, with similar prior production. And it basically all of those examples slot him as a top five caliber tight end this year. So he's not going to become the next Rob Gronkowski, but I think if we're the, the, the real narrative is that Ertz only plays at the end of the year. And what is the reason for that? Only plays well at the end of the year. And I think the reason for that is he's played with three or four different quarterbacks now. Um, what, two or three different head coaches? I can't remember if he was here for Reeds last year. Uh, so he hasn't had a lot of continuity. Hasn't had a lot of ha- hasn't had a chance to develop a rapport with any one quarterback. He started to do that with Wentz last year, and this is, I guess, the first year where he's going to have consistency at the position year over year. Take away the fact you got rid of the other guy in the middle, Jordan Matthews, your main slot guy, and Ertz is going to get the targets in the middle of the field. It's that simple. Uh, he's 26. He's he's in the prime of his career right now. No reason to think that Ertz can't be the player he was at the end of the last few years. Anything else? about time of year is probably just the narrative. So uh, everyone's very high on Ertz. And if you play fantasy, if you play DraftKings, he's 3500 bucks this week. He is the chalk play in all DraftKings leagues, whether it is cash games or tournament games. All of the sharps are on Ertz at the anticipated number of targets he'll get at $3,500 against a Redskins team that didn't defend the tight end position well. Ertz is almost a must-play. He might be like 40% owned in some leagues, which is shockingly high for any one player. Uh, So that was the gist of Jim's piece. We're also going to have another piece on Ertz today from Sean Cottrell, who writes for us. And he's going to dive into why Ertz has struggled in the beginning of prior seasons. And knowing Sean, he will take a deep dive statistical and video breakdown look and not just try and go on Narrative Central. So lots of Earth's coverage. Everyone seems to be in on Earth, and uh, I am as well. Um, got a few questions here from Twitter. This from K Biggins 1978 uh, Actually, at No More Illness is the handle. Would you trade Embiid straight up for Porzingis? Um, that seems laughable on its face. Uh, no, I would not. But I do think you could probably make it a somewhat reasonable argument for this, given Embiid's injury concerns, uh, and and those only, just on the surface as players and as marketable entities. Embiid is the guy I think you would choose uh, eight times out of ten in that scenario. And we all love Embiid, but Porzingis is pretty damn good. That said, um, with Embiid's injury concerns, I I think you I think you could at least not dismiss that sort of question summarily. It's not going to happen, obviously, but just as a hypothetical, I would I would at least consider it, um, even though it's it's ridiculous and not going to happen. Uh, from Mikey, another MB question. So for those who don't know, Howard Eskin, I guess reported. I somehow missed this early in the day. Eskin reported that Embiid has not been cleared. And part of the reason is his agent wants a new contract. And Brett Brown came out. Uh, I think on WIP again, and 
said that was basically not true. There was no truth to that at all. I'm inclined to believe Brett here. I don't think Embiid not being cleared has anything to do with his contract. Uh, I think it has everything to do with the team being overly cautious and not putting him in a scenario where he would feel compelled to play five on five, especially while he's traveling in Africa on NBA's global tour earlier this summer. So reader Mike E, Quinta My Cheese, however you pronounce that, asks, is Embiid in his age and posturing or is this show he's going to be a headache, heartache when it comes to negotiating? I don't think it's going to be a heartache when it comes to negotiating. The six, the Sixers, the, the only possible problem, again, are Embiid's injuries and what the player and his agent want and what the team is willing to give him at that point. I think we're going to come to the point sooner rather than later where the Sixers will just have to put their money where their mouth is and say, all right, if, if Embiid is the guy we're going to market around and sell tickets around and build our team around, then we're going to have to pay him like that, even though there's a higher risk with him than most any other player in terms of performance. And I would suspect that Embiid gets something less than he would get if he wasn't so darn injury prone, but still gets a fairly substantial, somewhat risky contract just on the sheer fact that he could be a generational talent. And you you don't want to make those players unhappy. And you also have to see Embiid's side of it, uh, that he needs some long-term security, um, given the fact that his career earnings potential is so high. Um, so I think this probably gets done at some point sooner rather than later. Uh, and I don't think Embiid's going to be a headache about it. That said, the people around him are pretty overly zealous. They have tried to claim, I guess, um, trying trademarking the process, which is something, a, a concept that Embiid really didn't invent, is a, is a little bit over the top. Um, he just sort of co-opted a fan chant. And um, his legal team or his agents... Uh, and his publicist, I've gotten emails from his publicist before about a video that was on the site a few years ago. Uh, Barstool had actually first posted the video. Um, I know his agents or a lawyer representing him and his agent have reached out to some site selling quote unquote the process shirts because he's filed for a trademark for it, which is a little bit over the top uh, and atypical, especially when it comes to players. Um, players association, teams and leagues are more... Uh, antsy about that stuff than individual players when guys have again career earnings potential in the hundreds of millions dealing with individual t-shirt vendors and I'm not including me here because I did not get a letter you know who are making single digit thousands on a given shirt is not worth the time and effort so Embiid does have a little bit of a of a smart and aggressive business team around him so if there are any contract issues or Heartache or headache, how this guy put it, it's it's not stemming from Embiid. It might be stemming from his agent and the people around him. But I, I don't think Embiid will, will ever be an, an issue in that regard. Um, Simmons, who knows, uh, just the way he's kind of been managed throughout his, his early life. Um, Tybone asks, three Eagles players to share a dorm room with. This is probably a better question to kick around with three guys. Um, I'd probably not say Carson Wentz because I don't want to hear scripture all day. Um, but I would probably want to take Carson and Ertz just so they can bring in Mike Trout. That would be my three, Carson, Ertz, and Trout. Um, and Michael Shapiro asked Pat season over after losing that must-win week one game. Yep, shut it down. Shut it down in Boston. Um, last thing, a couple of site notes about the site. If you're still here, you're, I'm assuming, a fan of uh, what we do. Uh, things are going well with the relaunch. We're, subscriber numbers are good. I think most of the content we've had up from the new guys has been quite good. And in some cases where it hasn't been, it's been my uh, failure as an editor. I'm not used to editing a lot of stuff, usually one or two posts a day, not posts from five or six different people, uh, and then coordinating with them and going back and forth and discussing things. So there's been some things that I've kind of missed on my end, but I think most of the guys have done a good job. Um, we are adding more writers. Uh, I've gotten a ton of emails and tweets and text messages, and I haven't gotten back to like anybody. So if you're one of those people who's reached out to me, it's it's not personal. I just like um, I'm not popular. I'm just I'm just lazy and easily distracted. Uh, it's just been a crazy couple of weeks getting all this together, having the new guys on the site. It's been a busy week in terms of content. So I will get back to those people. We are adding more people. I've talked to a few. Um, one person I know who is is almost all but in, who I think you will recognize and enjoy his coverage of a specific team. 
Another guy I think you will also recognize, I think he's in as a contributor on a weekly basis that I'm really excited about if we can uh, get it across the goal line. So a couple of really good guys coming to add to what we have. Kevin Kincaid hasn't even started yet. He starts full-time on Monday. He will be writing about the Eagles game from Sunday. His lane will be hardcore um, Sixers, almost like Sixers beat writer, and also doing that to a somewhat lesser degree with the Eagles, only a lesser degree because they play once a week, and the Eagles are so well covered that um, it's hard to differentiate yourself in Eagles coverage the way it is from Sixers coverage. But he's outstanding. Those of you who are Union fans like Russ, um, I think you'll— if you've seen the way he's covered the union, that's what he's going to do here. He's a really good writer. Uh, he has his own personality in his writing. He's not like necessarily my style. He doesn't write in my style, but he has personality, opinion. He's a good writer. He's a good journalist. He's had some really good stories with the union. I know he's working on a couple of really good stories already, like actual quote-unquote journalism stories, uh, but also not in a way that is dry. I think you guys are really going to like him, and I think he's going to kick ass with Sixers coverage. So a lot of good stuff coming up for the site. Um, you, If you haven't subscribed, you can now subscribe with PayPal. It takes like two seconds. I can't stress how this is a an ad, yes, but I can't stress how much better the site is without ads. Like just me using it without ads, my computer works better because I don't have Crossing Broads ads in the background all day. Um, ad networks are a necessary evil if you don't have a paying customer because they put ads on your site and generate revenue based on page views. But um, I'll tell you, it, this, this, it's really a good-looking site uh, when you get rid of all the ads and stuff. So um, subscribe with PayPal if you want. Uh, it's super easy. We did have a little bit of a problem for a handful of people yesterday that were having trouble accessing one article. I reached out to the company who handles the paywall um, slash subscription service, and they were aware of the bug, and they have already sent me a fix, which should be implemented today. Uh, it wasn't affecting payment or anything like that. It was just restricting some articles for people who were indeed logged in. But uh, that should be all fixed by um, not long after this podcast drops. So uh, anyway, that's our show for today. We will have a big show. Hopefully Adam is awake on Monday to discuss the Eagles-Redskins game. Uh, go Birds. <laughs>